Welcome, everyone, to episode 24 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined, as always, by Andrew Stoughton. And there is a surprising amount to discuss, considering the Blue Jays have not played in a number of days. Um, I feel like people want to hear about the Juan Soto stuff, but maybe before we fall down that rabbit hole, it's worth giving a little bit of a shout-out to Alec Manoa and... I mean, a strong all-star game performance, sure, but realistically, no one cares about that. More of a great performance from an entertainment standpoint. Stoughton, what's your initial take on uh, Alec Manoa getting mic'd up and uh, putting on a show for the baseball world? Yeah, I mean, I, I slept on this because I, and I know we've talked about it before, like about how, you know, the baseball world was going to love Alejandro Kirk, uh, I, I'm not, which is not to say that they don't. Um, but yeah, Manoa is a, kind of a larger than life guy, obviously in, uh, in more than one sense of the word. Um, he's a big dude and, and he's a, a fun dude. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I think him sort of, uh, emerging as a star out of this, or at least, you know, having his star much brighter around the league, uh, shouldn't have come to as, as much of a, it doesn't come as a surprise, but it was surprising to me that I didn't, I personally realized that, that of course that was going to happen because of course it was going to happen he's uh he's that dude and it was it was uh, delightful to, to watch like you said nothing he did was surprising like the sort of things he said were the sort of things you'd expect him to say the energy he brought is the energy you would expect him to bring um i think we did kind of fixate on alejandro kirk a little bit so that can be on us but, you know, we often criticize baseball for not giving these guys enough of a platform and an opportunity to show what they're about. And, you know, this was a relatively small one in the scheme of things. We're talking about getting mic'd up for a single inning. Um, but, you know, sometimes we only see this kind of stuff in spring training. I remember they had Mookie Betts out in the outfield before, which was a lot of fun. And, yeah, give MLB credit because this is a good way to get to know the players and fans get invested in the teams through the players. And, you know, North of the 49th parallel, or however you want to put it, fans know about Alec Manoa and what he's about. His pitching justifies him to be better known by the baseball world at large. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know what his Q score south of the border is. You know, that's something that we can get a little bit of a sense from, kind of by monitoring Twitter and stuff. But we're not going to know for sure. But it seems pretty safe to assume that this brought his profile up significantly. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I mean... Uh... It's always fun. It's it's fun, you know, to to have a star, to have a guy who has some drawing power. I mean, uh, I hope it doesn't mean more, you know, <laughs> um, what what is it? Peacock games or games on on all those streaming services where nobody can get them. Um, but if it means, you know, if it pushes it towards like a Sunday night baseball or or just you know more more Blue Jays being in the conversation, that's fun and good and and uh, and. And part of part of the experience of being a fan is, is seeing your team's profile grow, and um, you know the Jays have had a bit of a listless season, as we all know. Uh, so something good like that is kind of nice. What do you think of the slang term "punchies," which I think has been circulated a little bit before, maybe from Manoa himself? But this was, you know, the big again, the biggest stage for this possible. So <laughs> do you think that's something you could see yourself incorporating going forward? I mean, I don't think I could have before this. Like, I would have felt like an idiot. But uh, you know, I you know, I I have no problem. I probably will not type it, but will I say it with like a tinge of irony in my eyes? Yes, of course. I think I would say that. I think I could write it with a hyperlink. <laughs> 
like I don't know. I we mean, don't I won't get... be like like do, like contract stuff. Like, oh, you know, he he gets forty million dollars a year after a, a season of one hundred and seventy six punches. <laughs> well, I mean, as, as a writer, you're always looking for synonyms, man. Like synonyms are worth their weight in gold, especially when you truth. write about the same topic continually. Um, so if I have another thing to mix into this K strikeouts, punch outs mix and you know you get a couple of sentences a paragraph that's very dense on strikeouts you could see yourself reaching for the punchies this this is the deep cut stuff that uh yeah i don't i think people would rather hear about juan soto than the construction (laughs) of a paragraph maybe maybe just gonna just gonna make a note of reaching for the punchies as a potential title here hey we've got (laughs) we i'm sure we have listeners who do some writing and i know we do so maybe they'll be thinking about that Let's do the Juan Soto thing because Juan Soto is sort of the elephant in the room in Blue Jays world, which is funny because he is, you know, in the league writ large. But also this conversation that we're about to have is being had in fan bases all around baseball. Everyone is contorting themselves to think about, you know, how does Juan Soto fit? What is the price that we would have to pay for Juan Soto? And is it worth paying that price? And most people, because Juan Soto is an incredible hitter, historically good hitter for his age, they're going to come to the conclusion that, yes, they would like the team they support to get Juan Soto. Um, We know, and I think our listeners know, that it's a little bit more nuanced than that. I know that's something that you wrote about today. I know you've been, generally speaking, more inclined to let throw caution to the wind and have them trade prospects for people, but I did think that you had a relatively even keeled take on all this, and before I go and do sort of a negative thing, I want to open the floor to where you see the Blue Jays with Soto. Yeah, I mean, I, the, in a vacuum, I think you, you know a Blue Jays fan can think about you know prospects they have to offer and where the Jays are and what, uh, you know, what it might take to get him and kind of see how that could make some sense. Um but there's 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 29 other fan bases, or you know, uh, more than half of them probably uh, doing the same thing. And there's a lot of you know, a lot of teams with a lot of good uh, good prospects and good systems, and you know, better play you know playoff or World Series odds, and and uh, and are are maybe more financially positioned to do it. I mean, in the wild, financially positioned relative to what ownership allows them to spend. To be clear, Rogers could obviously. Uh, take on Corbin and Soto and extend Soto and extend Vlad and Bo if they really wanted to. I mean, I don't think they would get, you know, Edward Rogers might not be invited to a lot of events with uh, fellow MLB owners who were kind of hoping that the the luxury tax functions as a salary cap as it generally does. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, you know, it's, it just, it doesn't feel to me like something that have happened. And I know we're kind of in a new world of wh- where they're spending uh, in terms of like be under Rogers ownership being, you know, not not super free spending and sort of impelled to do it by changes in the CBA and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, payrolls are higher than they've ever been and it, it, it's healthy enough. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that, I mean, I think that this is more about the Corbin thing because I think that's absurd. Uh, and, and I think that would be a, a problem for the Blue Jays down the line in a way that it wouldn't for, you know, the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets or even the Red Sox or Cubs or, you know, there's all these, there's these teams where that money can kind of disappear a little more easily, I feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously Soto is a great player. Obviously he would be a great fit. Uh, I, I, but I, I don't, I don't know that I see that being where the Blue Jays go or, uh, or even, I don't know, even where the Nationals ne- necessarily go. Who knows? It's all a big spectacle right now. 
Yeah, and I think the discrepancy between the on-field fit and the organizational fit is important. Like on-field, absolutely. The Blue Jays have a ton of right-handed power uh, and getting a guy who's an incredible on-base machine from the left side with plenty of power of his own, obviously. Oh, like, like Kevin Biggio, really. Yeah, a Kevin <laughs> Biggio with just a li- li- little more pop. Um <laughs> Anyway, no, I mean, it obviously makes a ton of sense and you ship out one of the corner outfielders and you can build yourself a prospect package that maybe in theory the Nationals would accept. The Corbin thing is silly. If the Nationals want to tie Corbin to this deal, they're missing the forest for the trees because without Corbin, you're getting quite literally, you know, maybe the best trade package of all time. Why would you shoot yourself in the foot? to prevent yourself from getting that just to save some money. I mean, I know the answer to that question because right. you're greedy <laughs> yes. and you want to have the money and having money is of great importance to you. And that's how you became a billionaire. I know how that works, but from a baseball perspective, it's insane because you want to, the whole point of trading Soto away is to get quantity of good players in because you feel like you are so kind of top heavy with him, which is fair. And anyway, so the Corbin thing is silly, but I think you're right that, the Blue Jays' financial situation is such that there's a lot of money that needs to be spent in the relatively near future. And either, you know, you are extending the Vlads, the Bows, you know, the Teoscar Hernandez, that's one that's been coming up for a while that we've been talking about. Either you're extending those guys, which I think they would like to do. You know, they're two, two sides both have to be in on that for that to happen. They would like to do that. If they do that and they sign and they trade for Soto, now you're spending that amount of money on Soto, that amount of money on all these guys you extended. You have an extremely expensive team and you have no young talent coming up because you just traded the whole upper minors from your system, which is going to leave you incredibly top heavy. Depth is going to be an issue. You're not going to be able to solve problems in free agency. And again, I'm using this like you did within the frame of the money they're likely to spend, not what they can do. Because literally they can sign Soto and they can sign all these guys because it's a massive company and you could just take that out of the profits and no one would die and it would be perfectly fine and the city would love you and arguably it'd be worth the money in PR. Uh, but that's not what's going to happen. What would happen is that you would have an incredibly, a kind of a brittle team also, almost. And we've seen that with sort of Phillies teams in the past, even Red Sox teams. When you trade the prospects out and then you re-sign everybody, it gets to be a problem. So I... It's hard to see. Also, you you know, the Blue Jays are trading for two and a half years of Soto realistically if they do this. When I say if they do this as if it's more of an option, I think it is. But hypothetically, in a world where they do this, they're trading for two and a half years of Soto. One of those years is a year where you have basically no chance of making the the division uh, crown. So that means that your chances in the playoffs in a three-game series are basically unaffected by Soto. I'm not saying that he can't win a game, but if you think about it rationally, like the difference between Soto and say Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not going to be material over that short period of time. And so that's a hell of a roll of the dice on what's essentially a third of the value of the player you're trading for in the biggest package of all time. I feel like I'm rolling on here, uh, but you get where I'm going with this, which is that Soto's an incredible player, an incredible on-field fit with the Blue Jays from an organizational standpoint. I just don't see it as a good value proposition, which is such a joyless way to look at the game. But this is the way we are forced to look at the game because this is the way decision makers are looking at the game. Like, it'd be fun for us to just sit here for, you know, 20 minutes and say, wow, Soto would be so fun to see on the Blue Jays. 
but I don't think that's serving the listenership because that's not providing any information. And if anything, that would be raising hopes that, you know, who knows? It's it's definitely within the range of outcomes, but I don't know. Getting super excited about this player from a Blue Jays fan standpoint, I don't think is particularly wise right now. Yeah, I I tend to agree, and and I, I you know I said at the outset, I think the first thing I wrote about it was just like you know he's gonna go he's gonna go to the Yankees or the Dodgers for something. We're like that's stupid. It's gonna be like a Stanton thing in my mind a bit, uh, and and yet here we are. We we have to uh, because he's such an incredible player and it, it's such an incredible opportunity. But yeah, I I think I think you're right. I think you make uh, an excellent point about. Uh, the organizational stuff. I mean, like just flexibility. We, you know, I know they're in a sort of a different mode than they were, uh, you know, in 2019. But like, we can't forget that this is a, a, a team with a GM who is like, oh, we just traded six years of control into into 40 odd years of control or whatever it is. Like, uh, their flexibility has been a word that they've used a lot, and uh, and I think that I think that uh, you know, they, they won't lose sight of that. And it feels like a thing that bad teams do or bad teams used to do where they would paint themselves into a financial corner with all these sort of bloated contracts. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying they're bad players, but obviously, well, Vlad Soto, great, sign them up. But you already have, you know, the decline of, of Springer on your books for, at that point. You already have Burrios. You already have uh, Gosman. It's going to be there. And, and the, the money picture, and you're going to have to fill in for either, you know, Ryu has got one more year at $20 million. You're going to have to fill in for uh, for when Teoscar goes. Uh, you're going to have to fill in when Guriel goes. And, and, and there's there's a lot of backfill that has to happen, like you say, through prospects that are kind of the guys that you're going to be wanting to, to – going to be having to trade if you theoretically were to get a Soto. So it's it, – it's, I don't think that's the way they're going to operate, but uh, – but it's very exciting to think they could and might. And uh, if they did, I certainly wouldn't complain. I, my, my criticism isn't that they shouldn't go get him. If they feel they can make it work, giddy up. But, I, yeah, I'm with you that I just think it it does not strike me as something that they would do. Yeah, it's all about if you do this, what does it prevent you from doing? And we don't know the answer to that question without knowing how much money they're willing to spend. But kind of going off history, even a history that recently has shown greater willingness to take these type of risks – it just it's a picture it's hard to imagine coming together. And I think that because we had that trade for Barrios last year, everyone sort of turned the page of like, and I, I was definitely thinking this exact same thing, thinking, wow, this team has now showed me that they are willing to trade high quality prospects in order to make win now moves. And that's what that deal signified. However, I think it's worth noting that the prospects in that deal had seen their stock sort of decline over the course of the year. And we talked about that when we talked about the deal, because there was that sense of sticker shock when that deal was made, because people thought that those prospects were sort of near untouchable, especially in Austin Martin's case. And maybe sort of with the benefit of hindsight, we can say, oh, the Blue Jays are willing to trade, you know, quality prospects. Martin is still a quality prospect. But again, we had him in our minds as this, you know, fifth overall pick, best player in the draft. I think it was Keith Law who said that. And so that was like, wow, this organization is really willing to take that risk. And maybe, I mean, it doesn't quite look like that's the guy he is right now. Things could change. And what he had showed in the minors in his first taste of the minors was not really, you know, at that level either. So 
that was a huge step forward for the organization. But like you said, this is still a front office that mentions getting 42 years of control in a series of <laughs> trades. And I, I think that, you know, we may have overreacted to how we view the shift in the organization's thinking just due to that one deal alone. Yeah, I think that makes, I think that's, I think that's true. Um, and there's lots of other paths to, to, to improve that I think, uh, that I think makes some more sense for them. And, 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 you know, that we've been talking about for a while, Matt Chapman and the fact that, you know, they went and got a guy and they paid a pretty high prospect price. I mean, I guess some of those only, only here for two and a half as opposed to two years, but, but, you know, Barrios, you know, just, I think shorter term is sort of what is what they've had to have in mind because they keep, uh, loading up the books with long-term uh, uh, cost and also have those looming extensions for Vlad and Bo coming, which, you know, I think we all believe, uh, are going to have to come or, or, you know, or they're going to have to do everything in their power to do it. Even though I think some people are uh, not feeling bow as much uh, after this, this first half of the year. Well, if, if you listen to hockey fans, it's clear that American players will never sign with Canadian teams over the long term at all. So they can give up on bow. Uh, but that's, <laughs> you know, we can, we can keep the Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk dialogue to the minimum on this Let's. podcast. Yeah. Uh, I do think that, like you said, there are other, other avenues. And while I don't want to kind of fall in with the segment of the Blue Jays uh, discussion that said, oh, well, there's no point in getting Soto because it's the pitching that they need. I, I just think that's a really narrow way to look at it. Uh, you improve your team kind of whichever way works and makes sense. I don't think you need to specifically fill holes. It's just that filling holes is easier to do because the baseline is lower. And so it's easier to find a player that clears that bar. But, you know, Soto clears every bar, whatever. We don't need to go down that road. I do think that Luis Castillo is a really interesting player because he is someone who has, you know, this year, but he also has next year of control. So you have him for a year where you're potentially fighting for a division crown, which I think makes him more valuable. And he's someone who helps you get there. But also he does come off the books after that. So you do, he doesn't necessarily interfere with the sort of money that could be coming on, or he does if, if you want to extend them potentially, but there's just a little bit more flexibility associated with him uh, and significantly less cost because he will take, uh, he'll definitely take real prospects to pry him away, but we're not talking about a historic call, you know, the biggest trade package of all time. Yeah, no, I think that that's obviously a really a, a good idea, a good avenue for the Blue Jays to pursue. Uh, I know this came up in what I wrote today because it was in the Athletic and uh, C. Trent Rosecrans wrote about, uh, you know, uh, sort of did the framework of it, uh, and uh, but had beat writers contributing to this piece, which should be a signal that you know <laughs> there's there's a lot of teams who are going to be interested in Luis Castillo, uh, so the bidding war could get tough, and that's going to be something to be really you know to see. Uh, you know, as the trade deadline approaches, you know, where the market goes and, and it could be a lot of last minute kind of stuff because there's just, I mean, like there's just so many suitors at this point. Uh, but yeah, I think Castillo makes a ton of sense for the Jays like he does for a ton of other teams. And, and I, I like that Keith Law in that piece, our friend Caitlin, uh, Caitlin McGrath, uh, proposed Jordan Groshans and Yasmin Zulueta. Um, yeah, it's a no for me. Gotta keep Zulueta at all costs. Really? No, I'm kidding. I, mean, I wrote one piece about him. No, he's fine. He's like, I actually, I think he's a cool prospect, but no, that package is, is one I would sign off on a hundred percent. Yeah. Very, very quickly though. I mean, like Zulu is, is a guy who, you know, he's still starting. And I think, you know, the reliever profile is probably a thing that's been, that's come up with him. And, uh, it's been impressive. He's got to double a, I mean, he's older obviously, but, uh, he's finally healthy and, 
Um, you know, I'm sure there are things about him in particular, the health that like help him, uh, help push him maybe towards that reliever bucket ultimately. But as I wrote in my piece today, I don't want to keep saying that, but like he's, uh, he's a guy who can soak up some innings and give you some good cheap innings for a really long time. Like he's, I mean, that's sort of, you know, that that's the best case scenario. Um, oh, pardon me, but, uh, but, uh, you know, he's not a, he's a, there's value there, obviously. And I think that's why Keith would say that. Uh, and yet, yeah, I'm with you. I would do that in a second. Yeah. I mean, I find myself not totally in love with Groshans at this point. So if they're able to f- make him the centerpiece of a deal, I think, and you get a good player out of that, I think you'd have to be pretty happy. Relvis Martinez is more of a, that that one has such a range of outcomes that it could really, really come back to bite you, or it could be, you know, look like an absolute heist uh, in the future. But again, I, I think that there's a lot of fake trades that get made out there, and I would caution people against totally going down that rabbit hole just because it's not like the NBA where people are matching salaries and we have such a concrete idea of the value of each player. Like they have that trade value machine. I know people have been playing with it, especially in as relates to Soto, but I don't know in the majors, people value different players, especially different prospects. So differently, like one prospect will be considered virtually worthless to one team and another team will prize them. I don't know. Again, I'm not saying I'm not trying to yuck anyone's yum and say this isn't fun. And I get why people mess around with it, but it it just, there's a lot of fake trades that get made this time of year. And then you look up at what the real trades end up being. And it's rarely something similar. Yeah. I've also made a couple myself, you know, in the past, I'm not saying my hands are totally clean. Content is content. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what a lot of it is. And I, I, I tend to shy away from that stuff too. I mean, not, not just because, you you know, I don't want to get pinned down on a wrong opinion, but uh, because well, you know, Lord knows I would never have a wrong opinion about anything uh, in the last couple of weeks. But, uh, but, but yeah, I, it is. It's so tough. Groshans is interesting uh, to tangent there because uh, like Casey Candell, before he came up to be uh, John Schneider's bench coach here in Toronto, he was uh, you know obviously the, the, the manager in Buffalo uh, and was, and spoke about, uh, what's going on with him, which is where the power is just not there. And it's interesting that, you know, Martin had that thing, uh, Gabriel Moreno a bit. I mean, he hit a little bit for more power last year at double A, but that's, that's a thing. And, and what Kandel said, and maybe it's reflective of an organizational philosophy is that, you know, they're, they're less bothered by the power that the power will grow. They wanted, you know, the, the, the hit tool is kind of more important for them at this stage. Um, which is a, which is interesting. It's an interesting theory. I mean, it's not obviously it's not like one size fits all. You know, they've, they've drafted some guys who are you know more pure power hitters. They have a Ralvis who's obviously that's not necessarily what uh, what you're going to get there. Uh, but I find that interesting. But also, I think that that's obviously the big knock on Groshans at this point, which is that you know he 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 might not hit for the kind of power that he needs to be to be you know that Josh Donaldson type that uh, you know the you know the draft day kind of comps that get a bit absurd. Yeah, I mean, he's got one home run this season. And, like, you can prioritize you can prioritize hit tool all you want, but I hit more home runs at softball this week than this guy has in the season. Congrats. And, yeah, that's just just had to throw it in there. No. I, on my previous <laughs> podcast, sometimes I would bring up, like, my rec league ac- uh, athletic accomplishments, and it would, nothing would irritate J.P. Ernsevia more <laughs> than me talking about, like, adult rec league athletics. Which, you know what? If you've made it to the big leagues, fair enough. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, no, like you said, and that's not something that can get that uh, that record for the lowest on base or Like, like you said, um, they do seem to prioritize that hit tool a little bit, and we can we're going to talk about the draft that they had, and neither of us are presenting ourselves as draft nicks, and maybe we'll have someone on to talk about it in greater depth uh, a little bit later. But that is something they seem to prioritize in their draft as well. And I understand the premise that the hit tool is sort of a harder thing to bring along and people get stronger as they get older and the power does seem to come. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, Groshans is going to be 23 this year and you'd just like to see a little bit more, a little bit more of an indication that it's going to come. And there maybe there are believers in the organization who will prove that, uh, you know, any concerns are totally invalid and next year he's going to be absolutely stroking it at AAA and get the call up and be a starting caliber player. But when I'm looking at a guy who's been, you know, consistently a top five prospect in the organization for a while, I don't love to see a 311 slugging at AAA over, you know, 59 game span. That's not nothing. So what you're saying is he could either be stroking it or he could be uh, Reese McGuire. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, but also, you say he's, he's going to be 23 this year, so he's like literally a year younger than than Juan Soto. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. Another thing that makes this, this whole conversation so absurd. Like Bobuchet's a year oh. old. People are like, oh, they want big, young big leaguers. Bobuchet's 24. Soto's 23. Like Nate Pearson, well, if... is, like, 25, 26 at this point. Like. It's oh yeah, Nate Pearson's they could be Soto's dad essentially <laughs> uh, at this point. No, I mean let, let's get into the draft stuff a little bit, just because that's you know that's an event that has great importance. We don't understand the importance entirely until it's happened. But the Blue Jays did have a number of picks, a little bit more than usual, right? So they had they had five top 100 picks, which if they were to trade a bunch of the deadline, I'm sure would make them feel a little bit better. And we've talked about that backfill before of the farm system and how this draft could really have it improve. You know, the name to know is the first round pick, Brandon Berea. He's a guy who, you know, a shorter starter who loved Marcus Stroman. Surprise, surprise. Um, but, you know, kind of an electric high school arm. People always worry about the frame and durability with guys like that. Uh, you know, he did the classic thing where he said every team that didn't draft me is going to regret it, which you, he was drafted pretty low in the draft for that. I feel like that's more of a move for like the, you know, the sixth pick. Then the there are the vast majority of the league has disrespected me, but you know MLB.com had him as the fifteenth overall prospect. I like that they don't you know sometimes teams in the Blue Jays position really prioritize college talent because they want to supplement their roster quickly and they feel like they have to push that window. Uh, I don't like that as a strategy. I, you know, best player available is often the best philosophy, especially in baseball where guys take a while to mature. Um, I'm not going to grade any of these. I'm just going to run down the guys that they got. Um, in the second round, John Kasovich, he's you know kind of a polished hitter, hit over power, good walk to strikeout rates. He's a shortstop who's supposed to stay there, but not some super fast uh, athlete. Kind of you know maybe a higher floor guy. Um, MLB.com ranked him 67th, so pretty much where he's drafted. Uh, the third one, Tucker Toman. This is an interesting guy because he's a high school guy who might be might cost a little bit more. Uh, MLB.com ranked him 35th. They got him 77th. Switch hitter with pop. Could be a tough sign. Uh, third base 
could work for him. People are saying corner outfield as well. So he's a sort of guy who's got a hit. Uh, K. Doty, uh, another you know kind of college second baseman, average at a lot of things, decent contact, decent power, decent run. Could be a super utility guy. Like again, you know, MLB.com had him fifty-five. Blue Jays got him seventy-eight. It's really tough to get excited about prospects like that, but sometimes you get a Devin Travis out of that. Uh, and then Alan Roden, you know, this was a guy that was a, more of a first baseman and had great bat-to-ball and discipline, but people had questions about the power. So as I mention all this, you know, there is some, you know, there's some pattern there that they generally went with guys who were more hit tool guys as opposed to big swinging power hitters. And you can't extrapolate that from five picks only, but it is interesting that uh, that's what we saw in this draft. And then other just other notes, the best name, because people always like names from the draft. I think the best name in the Blue Jays cast, class was Bo Bonds. Great baseball name, 13th yeah. round pitcher. And my fun fact is that the Long Beach State baseball team is called the Dirtbags. I don't know if that was well known, but the Blue Jays got a pitcher named Harrison Devereaux from them. I don't know. I, I, like, like I said before, I'm not trying to present either of us as draft Knicks. I don't think we can go deep on what this means for the organization, but my takeaways are sort of the process things. And the process things I saw were, A, they didn't feel the need to rush a first-round pick that sort of fits their immediate window, and B, they went with a decent amount of hitters, mainly fairly high ceiling college guys with good hit tool. Yeah, no, I, I think that's. I think those are good lessons to have learned from the the draft. It's uh, like you're you're not wrong that I'm not going to present myself as as a as an expert here. I definitely kind of. You know, I, 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 my eyes glaze over a little bit once you start getting into the like the super utility type potential guys. I find it kind of more interesting uh, to see what they do in pro ball. You know, like like Ricky Tiedemann was like I think the ninety first pick last year, and is like flying up the, the 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 not just prospect list but up the organization. Like he's in Double A now, or he's going to be when the season restarts. And uh, you know, that's because he added a bunch of velocity between the draft and between and and, and his pro debut or you know, when he, like in his early days with the Jays, like that's, uh, that's kind of game changing stuff. And I think that kind of ends up being, uh, you know, like, like don't not follow these guys. And I, lots of people get really interested in in it and I don't want to like shit on that. Cause I think that, you know, sure. Yeah, it it is interesting. And these are guys who are going to filter into the system that are going to be worth following. And, and, you know, the little, the, the, the shoots of green can come up from, from any of these spots as, as Tiedemann kind of proves. Um, but yeah, no, the, 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 uh, you know, yeah, getting excited over a name that I've only read is, is, is a bit weird, but yeah, Pereira, it seems like a, uh, 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 certainly like, I think people were calling him the top prep lefty in the class. Uh, I think you're right that, you know, going with the high school arm, even though he's, I think Keith Law said, you know, not, not a ton of projection left. Like he's, he, he's, uh, a guy who like his command, well, if he can throw strikes consistently, he can move quickly kind of a guy. So he's maybe not, he's not like a project. He's not like an Adam Klaffenstein, maybe, uh, in terms of, you know, being a high school guy, but, uh, but still high school arm first round pick. That's, you know, that's, that's risky. I mean, man, sometimes those guys can take years and years and, and who knows how long Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro are going to still be here for. <laughs> so like to do that and to not, and to like, you know, have the discipline to not, 
go for the quick fix kind of types. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I know a lot of people thought about like Kumar Rocker if like he was a long hawk draft and certainly was not third on most. Uh, you know, a guy who could maybe pitch in a big league bullpen right now. Uh, you know, that's probably. I think you're right that that's probably not the way to think about it. Even though you know, obviously, he's somebody who's quite uh, quite well regarded, well regarded enough to, uh, to to go to the Rangers at three. Um, but yeah, uh, the the college bats interesting. You can you know. You can get interesting guys out of there. I think that Toman, uh, you you mentioned that he might be a tough sign. Uh, it certainly seems like that was. Uh, I mean, he was one of those guys like Bo Bichette. I think I wrote this the other day that, that you know, uh, you know, he had a commitment to LSU. Bichette was at Arizona State, and it's like, you know, kind of they kind of have a, a little bit of lever- leverage to be like, well, I'll just go to school unless you're going to pay me what you know, give me the deal that that we want. And, uh, or that we, you know, him and his advisor, who, you know, of course, is not allowed to be his agent. Absolutely. Well, he isn't his agent. I don't <laughs> know why he'd suggest something like I, that. Yes, I'm sorry. I should. I should. Uh, but, yeah, so I don't know. It, it felt to me the way that, you know, he was uh, – the way that that was all presented, like that, that he'll, he'll, probably, he'll probably be signed. I think there was probably something worked out there. Uh, so that's good. That seemed like a really uh, – an exciting bat and an overslot guy. Um, at that point, and then they were kind of safe elsewhere, and and uh, you know that, that that there's your there's a draft there's a draft right there. And, and, yeah. uh, there were more guys, but we more rounds, and uh, those are all guys as well. Yeah, we're not going to read those names. We did that <laughs> sort of the maximum of what we can do. Again, maybe we'll bring someone on at some point. Tucker Toman, uh, his Twitter bio says LSU baseball commit, and it doesn't say Blue Jays, so. Wow. There's uh, there's there's your early leverage play. Well, perhaps uh, his perhaps his advisor has advised him. Yeah, I mean that would be a good thing to advise. <laughs> um, before we get out of here, last little sort of bit of news that come from this period is that the Blue Jays are looking at hosting the MLB All Star Game in 2027. That is a long way away, but I remember thinking when Troy Tulowitzki signed his extension with the Rockies to 2020 that that was a year that was never going to come. Um, so I expect that 2027 will roll around in one, in one way, shape, or form. What does that do for you? Is that Does that bring you excitement? Um, I know that the Rogers Center is going to have some renovations potentially to showcase, although... I just have a hard time believing that will be exciting in kind of a league-wide context. <laughs> uh, well, it depends on how much money they, they pump into the building, I guess. I mean, 20, thinking about making plans for 2027 is like, you know, just makes me feel elderly. Uh, because I, if I'm not now, I certainly will be then. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the, the renovation stuff to me is more interesting than the all-star stuff, though... You know the draft and the futures game, like those are those are very cool events, and it'll be that would be amazing to have have take place at the Rogers Center. But I hope it's at a Rogers Center where you know all the the seats face the action and not the fifty five yard line, or uh, you know, or and have maybe some cushions and a little more leg room and and, and stuff like that. Uh, like that uh, that I think is it's a well you know. It, it, I don't know if anybody thought that that was going to happen for next year. It sounds like it's not. It sounds like the asymmetrical wall stuff and the elevated bullpens. I think was the other thing that uh, that Shai wrote in his piece about that uh, are coming, which is which is interesting. You know, it gives the gives a little character uh, to the park, as they say. Though you know, forced character is maybe uh, not as exciting as as you know, just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like like Fenway Park looks the way it does because that's what the lot was shaped like. Like they could that that's those were the boundaries in which they had to build a park. 
Um, and so, you know, plays, I mean, you could have made defenses a little different, but, but, you know, the, that's, that's why those, those kind of character things exist. Um, so if you, you know, you're just in a cookie cutter stadium, you're like, Oh, let's, you know, let's, let's crumple up a piece of paper and, and, uh, and, and we'll make it look like this. Like, I don't, I don't know, but also it'll be nice to see that kind of used, right. Or it, it's, it, and, and uh, more ground, more triples, more ground rule doubles. I don't know something, something different down there, a little more visually striking. I'm, I'm all for that. The elevated bullpen, sure. Get the, get them closer to the fans. Get, get more people throwing shit at them. Sure. Um, yeah, fans love to see mediocre relievers sort of start to warm up and then ultimately not do anything. I mean, that's the, <laughs> as exciting as it gets. It could it could look a little more baseball-y, though than having them behind like a chain link fence, right? Like it could look a little yeah. more uh, like grandeur kind of uh, uh, happening, right? So I, I don't hate it. Yeah, I mean the, the the ballpark's been making very slow progress over the years. I mean, you know, the games that I used to go to when I was in high school or whatever, like it was, you know, people complain about concessions now and they complain about how it looked now. It was, you know, it used to be more grim than it was and they have slowly but surely been improving it. We have Looney Dogs now, which is obviously tremendously exciting. Um but uh, no, I'm, I'm curious to see what they can do with it. I'm just not overly optimistic. What's great about Rogers Center is where it's located. It's an un- unbelievable location for people coming in from outside the city, for tourists, for people who live in the city. That's always going to be the drawing point. There's only so much you can do within the confines of those walls. I understand why they're not building some amazing open air Camden Yard somewhere else. Uh, Camden Yard's pre-stupid left field wall somewhere else, to be clear. Um <laughs> I get it. I just I think there's a bit of a ceiling, uh, and this is not no pun intended, but there's a bit of a ceiling on what Rogers Center can be. So I would be a little bit cautious in assuming it's going to take some great step. But like you said, having some of those events like the draft um, and the futures game, I think it would be great to have in the city, and it'll be interesting to see an all-star game in Toronto potentially where it doesn't happen in the middle of the winter like NBA or NHL and the whole storyline isn't Americans are cold. So that would be cool. <laughs> that is true. And you're right that the slow pro, I mean, I went to like 60 games in 2007 or six or something like that. So yeah, I've seen it real grim. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the dirt cutout, uh, the cutouts going and getting the full dirt infield. That's a win. The grass looks better now. The flight deck obviously has been a huge success. Um, you know, there's not a, not a lot that anybody else, you know, the, the us commoners necessarily touch. Uh, you, you don't see a ton of difference, but, uh, you know, they've done some good things. It would, I'd love to see them find a way to open up the concourse and, and, you know, all the, all the complaints that have always been there, more local food, more stuff, get Aramark the hell out of there get some the better beer choices and all that. Uh, you're right that there's only so much you can do. I liked the non pun about the ceiling. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if they can force the press box anywhere more awkward than they've already done, which is, uh, that's as bad as it gets. That's gotta be by far the worst. I can't imagine, like I haven't traveled to press box in every stadium. I can't imagine there's a worse one, uh, in the, in the major leagues and in terms of the view you get. Yeah, I was in the, I, I, I got lost in the big O one time and managed to get into the, uh, somebody, somebody, somebody who like. I think they probably this old man spoke enough English to have helped me, but would not speak English. That's another, that's another story about me and him personally. But uh, I, I 
got there using my my li- very limited French skills to the, the the press box, which of course was the CFL press box. So it was like it was weird as hell. Uh, but there were a couple people in there doing stuff. But the, the main press box was behind the plate at the Big O. But uh, oh man, if you had to use that one, uh, I imagine it was sort of on par because I think that's maybe where the, the they had the CFL press box as well, right? Like that is what it is at yeah. Rogers Center now. It's the Argos original press box. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not great, not great. But you know what? That is sort of a world's smallest violin situation. Yeah, everybody's favorite I don't, topic. <laughs> uh, I don't think people are too concerned about it. So we will leave you on that point that you are not concerned about at all. We will be back on Saturday after the game, and we we'll have Saturday some Sunday. Oh, that's a good... well. You know, we'll figure we'll figure it out. It'll be one of those days, and maybe it is Sunday. I whichever, forget what I'd say. Whichever day is not, uh, whichever day TFC is not playing, because I'm going to be I'm going to be up at that. Oh, Sunday. We'll be there on Sunday. There you go. They, this is the you know these are the kind of treats you get with a live podcast. So we will see you guys Sunday after the game, uh, and we'll have some actual baseball to talk about live, which is exciting. It will be good for the Blue Jays to be back. They have a little bit of momentum going potentially, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where the second half takes us. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. See you Sunday.